Sacrifice Sunday. For many of you, maybe that's the first time that you've heard of that. Perhaps you're new with us and you're wondering, well, is pastor going to sacrifice something on the pulpit here? What, what is this all about? Uh, this has been something that our church has engaged in for a number of years where we have a particular Sunday uh, during the year in which we ask you to pray, uh, to give uh, whatever God would lay on your heart toward a particular uh, aspect of church ministry, uh, something along those lines. Today, for Sacrifice Sunday, uh, all that is given in the offering today, all that is given, uh, will go to help retire uh, the um, what we call the FFE loan on, on this building. We uh, built this building back in 2020. Uh, there's a mortgage on this property. In addition to that, there was an additional smaller a loan that was taken out for the furnishings, for these nice chairs that you're sitting on and, and some of the things to furnish the inside of the building. And we're very close to retiring that. And so we had set a goal a few weeks ago and asked that you pray about what God would have you give and that if we reach the mark of $95,000 today that we could retire that smaller loan and then uh, the additional payments to service that loan could go toward the mortgage on this property and accelerate that as well. So we mentioned that a few weeks ago. These are very physical things that we discuss and talk about giving to, uh, but ultimately I want us to understand that we are giving to the Lord. We are giving to His work. Often in my office across the way in the little building we affectionately call the Heritage Building, where we as a church met for so many years. I, I walk in there and I walk in that little room where we met upstairs, where the teens have taken over now. And I wonder how in the world we all made that work. Um, this would not work in there for sure. But God has granted us this and has provided this for us as a tool to be able to help all of you come and join us as we celebrate the Lord and His resurrection Sunday after Sunday. And so that's what this Sunday is about. It's Sacrifice Sunday that we give out of our hearts as a reflection of our consecration to God. In light of that this morning, I want us to take this as kind of our theme verse Whenever somebody uh, speaks on giving or gives a giving challenge, oftentimes this verse comes to mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul, in writing to that church, exhorts them this way, that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul states this principle to the church at Corinth, a New Testament body of believers, but I think Paul has in mind an Old Testament example of this. That he actually, in bringing together the things he mentions in this passage, he is pulling on what his audience no doubt has read, and what he certainly was well familiar with of Old Testament examples of this very principle. And I actually want to look at that example this morning, but before I read the passage that we will give our, the majority of our attention to this morning in the Old Testament, I want, to, I want to lay the context for us. We're going to be looking 
at a passage in the book of First Chronicles. Now I'm thankful that Pastor Andrew, the past two weeks while I've been away, has, has kind of helped familiarize everybody with the book of Chronicles. This was not planned. Of course, the Lord has that plan. But I do want to lay just some additional background of this book of Chronicles, how it illustrates this, and, and how we are to apply it to our lives today. If you look with me at the book of Malachi, first of all, look at the Old Testament book of Malachi, because here we're going to get some context for 1 Chronicles. That's the last book in your Old Testament. So if you turn to Matthew and go back a few pages, you'll find Malachi chapter 1. And the reason I'm turned here is because this book of Malachi is written after the people of Israel had been in captivity in Babylon. They've returned to their land, and God is speaking to his people through the prophet Malachi, and he's addressing particular issues that they're dealing with particularly in regard to their worship of God. And the reason I have you turn to Malachi is because the audience that Malachi is addressing and speaking to, this what we call post-exilic company, these people that have come back to Israel after the Babylonian captivity, that is the same audience that receives the book of Chronicles. Now, when you open your Bible and you read the book of Chronicles, you read a lot of things. You read about David and Solomon and these ancient kings. And, and we sometimes tend to think that it's really talking about the history of those things. It's relating that to those people. But actually, the book of Chronicles is written to a people that know all of that. And the author or the chronicler, we're not sure exactly who it is, he is actually relaying all of that information to his target audience which are the people that we read about in Malachi chapter 1. So what are the issues that these people are dealing with that the chronicler also addresses in his book? Let's just get a sampling of this. Look at Malachi chapter 1 and look at verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. This is God speaking. If then... I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And God's reply, verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? Again, the reply, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Drop down to verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is, speaking of, of all this sacrifice and giving. What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. If you had to describe the condition of these people, how would you describe that? 
I would describe it in this way. They certainly are not devoted to God. And it's demonstrated in their reluctance to give of their best to God. This is the heart issue that, that God is addressing to these people. Your actions are demonstrating your heart is far from me. You might be going through the motions, but there's an underlying problem even in those actions. We see this again. You don't need to turn there, but in the book of Haggai. Haggai proceeds in time, Malachi, written a bit before, but but Haggai, again, a post-exilic prophet, he's addressing these people that are returning the land from Babylon. And the people have been rebuilding the temple, but it has fallen under difficult times, and they're kind of giving up the project. And, and Haggai actually speaks to these people, and he says, here's the problem. You're living in these paneled houses you have given all your focus and attention to your own priorities and making your life at ease. And it says, it's like you're taking everything that God has blessed you with and you're trying to get all you can out of the stuff. And it's like you're taking your money and you're putting it in a bag to hoard for yourself, but that bag is full of holes. And it never fills up your life. It runs out like the money running out of a bag. And you keep doing this. And Haggai says, what you need to do is you need to give the Lord your heart because when he has your heart, then he has all the stuff too. And this was the issue that these people were facing. Now, in our modern day, we can say, and oftentimes that sounds a lot like me. Oftentimes I'm a reluctant giver. Sometimes I'm seeking for fulfillment in all the things of life, and it's like I'm putting them in a bag full of holes. And so what you have in the book of Chronicles is, is the chronicler is addressing these people, and he does so by giving a history of Israel. But when he writes his book of Chronicles, we have First and Second Chronicles. It was all one book initially. The reason we have First and Second is it was written on two separate scrolls. But it's all one book. And what's interesting is if you come to the very center of that book, First and Second Chronicles, you have 15 chapters that are given over to the preparation for and the building of a temple to God. It's the last eight chapters of 1 Chronicles, the first seven of 2 Chronicles, and you have these two individuals, David the king, and then Solomon his son, and David is making preparation for this building project, as it were, and Solomon is executing on it, and he's actually accomplishing the project. And these two kings in that time frame, at the middle of that book, they are being held up to the audience of Malachi chapter 1 as ideals of people who are truly consecrated to God in giving. That if you want to know what real worship and real consecration of heart looks like, the chronicler says, here's an example. 
And let me show you this example. And so it helps us to look at the example in 1 Chronicles and say, is my heart consecrated to God? Do I look like that? And so now let me read for you the passage that we're going to give our attention to. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. And let's just read this passage. Look at verse 1, 1 Chronicles 29. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for settings, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? And the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes of the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of all Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. 
Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness and the uprightness of my heart. I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifice and abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Now, the chronicler is interpreting the events of David's day and his preparation for building the temple, and he's interpreting them to the people of Malachi's day and holding before them, this is what true consecration to God looks like. This is how you worship God. Now, you would think that if he were going to give those kinds of examples, that he might speak in other ways. He might say, okay, worship to God looks like attention at the reading of God's word. Or worship of God looks like a passion and earnestness in singing. Or worship of God looks like a particular way you present yourself to God. But what is the thing in this passage that he's driving at that says this is really where true consecration to God shows up. What is it? Look at 29 and verse 3. At the end, David says, because of my devotion to the house of my God, I what? You're following along with me? The end of verse 3, David's saying, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give. And so in verse 5, they talk about offer. In verse 6, this idea of free will offering. In verse 14, it speaks of offering. In verse 17, it speaks of offering. So here is the thing that the Holy Spirit focuses our attention on that really displays something about our heart and our consecration to God, our devotion to Him are being set apart to him. What thing is that? What is the thing that God says will demonstrate your consecration? It is your giving. It is your use of money. Now that makes a lot of sense. You know why? Because money is very important to all of us. We need it to live on. 
it, it really wraps itself around our life and is influential in every decision. Your decision to come here today was a monetary decision. You expended fuel in your vehicle to drive here. And when you think of it in those terms, all the decisions that we make really have, have monetary impact. And so our use of those things really demonstrates what we value Money's very important to us. We all need it. We, we work hard for it. We want to be good stewards of it. We are reluctant to part with it. That's why you go out and you shop all the deals, right? You, you, you find it for one price here, and then you go on Amazon and you find it lower, and that's why Amazon is ruling the world, <laughs> right? Because money is very important, and people want to maximize the use of it. And the end money reveals what is truly valuable to us. The same thing was true in the time that the book of Chronicles is written. These people that were offering the lame and the weak, those are monetary values. These are things that they would bring in offering in an agrarian society. Those were very valuable things. And so instead of bringing their most valuable sacrifice, they looked for the one that wouldn't get the highest market price. And let's just slip this in, and it's good enough. And God says, what you're demonstrating to me is that you don't value me. You're reluctant. Your heart's not really with me. So the chronicler points back to this event and he says, here's what it looks like to really value God. And he's encouraging the people of his day to demonstrate a true consecration to God and do so in the way that they give to God. And so the same is true for us. Giving of our material Wealth really is a measure of our consecration to God. So I want to just look at it from this standpoint. Our consecration to God through giving. What does it look like to be really consecrated to God and how is that known through our giving? Well, when we give to the Lord, like we do on a sacrifice Sunday or, or any day when you come and you give, what does devotion to God look like? Well, I want you to note that that is stated in this passage. Look at verse 5. These are the words of David. The end of the, verse 5, David says to the people, who then will offer willingly, what's the next word? Consecrating himself. To the Lord. Notice that David is speaking to all the people. He's not speaking to any particular segment of people. He's speaking to all, and he's saying, Who here will consecrate yourself to God? The word consecrate here is a word that was used of priests when they were ordained to ministry. We read of this in Exodus chapter 28. And you have the priesthood, and they were set apart to do the work of the priesthood. And the word consecrate literally means to fill the hand. And so it was kind of this idea, when a priest was set apart to do the work of priesthood, he was called out from among the people, set apart, and his hands were filled with the duties of the priesthood. So he would take those duties in his hand, and he would work those duties in the honor of God. 
And that is this idea of consecrating here. But David is not addressing the priests. He's addressing all the people. And he says, God wants all of you to be consecrated to him. That that what you find in your hands are given to him and to his work. Now here's the question. What is the sign that somebody is really consecrated to God in those things? How would I know if the Lord really has my heart? And that's what the other part of the verse teaches us. Look again at verse 5. He says, who then will offer what? Say it with me again. Who will offer? Okay, so you tell me. How do I know if I'm really consecrated to God in giving? How do I offer it? Willingly. Not reluctantly. Willingly. So we would say it this way. The sign of consecration to God is willing giving. That I give in a way that is not under compulsion, but it's free. Because God has my heart. He has my everything. It's a matter of the will. It's it's not a matter of how much you have. It's a matter of who has you. Who rules your heart? Well, how do I know if it's willing, or how do I get to this point of being a willing giver? Look down at verse 9. The author comments, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. Well, what caused them to give willingly? For with a what? Whole heart they offered freely to the Lord. How do I get to willing? The Bible says that we need to give with a whole heart. What is this whole heart? The Hebrew word for whole is a word you've all heard. Shalom. Right? That's probably maybe the only Hebrew word you've heard. Shalom. What does that mean? It's, it, it was a greeting in those days. It, it, means, it means more than just, hi, how are you? It means, it means peace with you. It means I want you to be at complete rest in everything in your life. May you be entirely at rest with God and others. May God's peace be upon you. And here it says that these people are to offer, the the, the reason it was willing is because they gave with a a peaceful heart. That means that when they gave, they weren't torn. They weren't filled with anxiety. Well, I really shouldn't, but they weren't filled with this idea of, well, you know, I really don't want to do this, but I will. Well, is that really a wise investment? Well, what am I going to be missing out on because I've given that? It's the idea that that because their heart was whole, they weren't thinking of what they had sacrificed or what they were going to be missing out upon. And that wholeness of heart reflects a consecration of life to God. Do you see that? What helped them come to this wholehearted kind of giving? The second thing I want to note is to whom they're giving. This sounds like a building project, right? It is. But their focus here is not on, okay, here we need this many bricks, we need this much gold, we need this much, you know, here's the little 
uh, scale that we need of money to cover these things. Notice what their attention is in this. Look at verse 1. David said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone of God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great for the what? Okay, with me, I know it's, I've been gone for two weeks. Maybe nobody else does this, but you know I do this by now, so, okay? I want you to look at the text. Go ahead, and, it's okay to talk in church, okay? David the king said, all the assemblies, Solomon my son, who alone God has chosen, is young and experienced, and the work is great for the? Okay. What's he talking about? He's talking about the temple, right? They're going to build the temple. Why didn't he say temple? In fact, look at verse, this comes up again in verse It does come up again, I promise you. Verse 19. Verse 19, the end. He says, he says, Grant Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace. Okay? So when they look at this temple, they're looking at like a palace. Who lives in a palace? A king. And it's in their understanding that we are building a palace for a king. I thought David was the king. Well, David is the extension of the true king. There is a king in Israel, and this king will dwell in this palace. And so when they are giving to this project, this temple, this palace, as it were, in their mind they're saying, I am giving to a great king. This great king is the ruler of all things. He's the ruler of my heart. I willingly give myself to him, my whole heart to him. And when that happens, guess what? It shows up in my willing giving, my willingness to give. The sign of consecration to God is willing giving. It stems from a whole heart and acknowledgement of a great king. That's why when we read back in our verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, we read that we are to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. God doesn't love that kind of giver. Do you know what giving reluctantly or under compulsion is? It's paying your taxes. Right? You get that tax bill. And, and there's some things I'm very thankful for. And I'm very thankful to support our first responders. And I like nice roads. But there's a lot of things in there where I'm like, I don't like that at all. But I am under compulsion. And when I write the check, I'm reluctant. Why? My heart's not in those things. God says, I am your great king. Give me your heart. And it'll show up when I willingly say, my great king, here's all I have. It's all yours. Do you see how the writer is holding this up as an ideal for the people of his day and how it comes down to our day. Are you a willing 
giver. And I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about the talents that God has. Everything that God has entrusted to you. Are you consecrated to him? The sign of consecration to God is this willing giving. That's an internal work. You can go buy the box today, or you can give something in the offering, and I can watch you do that, and I will never know if it's willing or not. I can't see into your heart. God can. So what is the outward sign that that this giving is done willingly with that kind of heart toward God? I mean, these people are acknowledging this. What is that outward sign as I give that demonstrates God really does have my heart and my heart is in this? Well, look at it in the text. Look at, look at verse 17. David says, I know, my God, that you test the heart. Okay, God's looking at the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. And he says, in the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered, okay, I've given willingly all these things. And now he says, I have seen your people presented here offering freely and what? Okay, what is the outward visible sign that willing giving is happening? Joy. I give with great joy. It's not a chore. It's rejoicing. And that's exactly what we read. Look back at verse 9. Again, the comment, then the people, what? Rejoiced. Why? Because they had given? Okay, we don't see the willingly, but we know it's there when we see the rejoicing. Therefore, the effect of consecration to God is joy in giving. I do it joyfully. And when I do that, it demonstrates this willingness is really happening. And the consecration is there. Well, what helps us to be joyful when we give? There are things noted in this passage that really just kind of come to the top. In fact, they're repeated. And I think they're repeated for emphasis to demonstrate it's the recognition of these things that adds to the joy in the giving. What are these things? They're very plain to see. Look at verse 14. David says, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Verse 15, because we are strangers before you and sojourners, and it's all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like shadow, and there is no abiding. And what he's saying is, I'm like the grass. I'm here today, gone tomorrow. But there are these things that that belong to you, the earth and its fullness, and they remain even when I pass off the scene. Excuse me. 
Verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from where? From your hand, and it's all your own. So you tell me, what are they recognizing? They're recognizing that my willing giving of these things is not like I'm in a deficit because I really had these things. It's the fact that God gave them to me and I'm just giving them back to God. It's loosely holding these things with that recognition. I think it's, it's starkly illustrated this way. I've heard this said And it's true, there are no U-Haul trailers behind a hearse. When you leave this earth, you can't take any of this with you. And it's just a reminder that we are stewards of it for but a short time. But when I get too wrapped up in the things, and I really do think that they... They form my identity, my own value and status. Then I'm very reluctant to let them go. And in fact, I get grouchy when they have to go. What aids in the joy of giving is the recognition of the great giver. We're simply stewards of these things. And the Bible tells us over and over again that joy is discovered not in hoarding these things, but in giving. Giving to God and giving to others. And when I get that through my thick head, there's joy. There's joy in doing that. The other thing I want to note about their joyful giving is this, is that that they were joyful despite notable sacrifice. Look at verse 3. I won't take time to read all of this, but verses 3 and 4, you have this list of David's generosity. You know, why, why does the chronicler go to the pains of listing all these things? I think what he's saying is this was really an extravagant sacrifice by David for sure and and others. David gave 110 tons of gold, 260 tons of silver. The people's gifts and following, there were 190 tons of gold, 185 pounds of gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, over 3,000 tons of iron in addition to precious stones, This is an extravagant gift. This is a notable sacrifice. But it didn't feel like a sacrifice because there's great joy in giving it. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't hear by what I just read that unless you give extravagant amounts, you're not consecrated to God. Because I want to remind you that Jesus sat in the temple and he watched a poor widow drop a penny in the offering. And you remember what he said? She just outgave everybody. Why? Her whole heart, willing, giving, sacrifice. 
not about the amount. It's about the heart. And so what is the impact of all of this? What's the conclusion of all of this? Look at verse 10. When all of this is happening, verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? You know, if you're in the south, you say, bless you, right? What does it mean to bless the Lord? We're thinking, oh, I want God to bless me. How do I bless the Lord? Blessing means to speak great things of. And what it's saying is, when David sees all of this happening, he just erupts into praise and begins to speak great things about what he's seeing God do. And here's what he says. He does this in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, victory and majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. There's ownership. God owns it all. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. I don't own these things. They come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Because, God, you own it all, you entrust it, we give it back to you, and now we praise you for what you're doing among us. What is the praise? David is praising God for the work he did in the hearts of those people. He's not praising God because, woo, look at this hall, man. We've got money. He's praising God because he says, I see consecration in those people. Their heart is given to you. How do I know? They're giving joyfully. What's that a sign of? It's from a willing, whole heart. And David says, and you've done this. You have made us willing. You, the great king, who have brought our will into submission to yours. And David praises God and says, God, basically, you've given from your right hand to us, and we've given it back to you. This was the work of God in the hearts of his people to reveal God in this great way so that people ultimately would praise God. And that, beloved, beloved church, that would be my heart. That we would come out of this having given to God in a sacrificial way and it would be praise God God, for the work he did in our hearts. It shows in joyful giving, revealing true consecration to him. It was some while back that I was speaking with another pastor, and this pastor was engaged in a building project 
And I was comparing notes and asking him how it was going and about raising the funds. And, and he, he unashamedly told me, he said, you know, it really helps that we have three different multimillionaires in our church. And I thought about that. That was kind of his explanation for being able to build the building and, and increase their capacity. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought, may that never, ever be our testimony. Not that we shouldn't have you know, people that are good stewards of God's things in our assembly. But simply that all the money that has been given over Sacrifice Sunday or all the money that is given today wouldn't be thought of in these terms. Oh, well, somebody here must just have deep pockets. Or, you know, maybe somebody got an inheritance. Uh, maybe the stock market did well. But that, that, that would never be the thinking. But that it would be Praise God, he has the hearts of those people. Praise God, there are willing, consecrated hearts that realize God is great as king. He's king of my life. He has everything I own, and I gladly give it to him. And we all would come away and say, that's an amazing amount, yes, but praise God, it's an amazing sign of devotion to him. That would be my prayer. God delights in those who give freely and willingly to him. It demonstrates a right heart before him. That is why. Paul writes this, each one of you, you must give as you've decided in your heart. What does that sound like? Willingness. I give willingly, not reluctantly, not guilted into this, not by compulsion or prodding. Why? Because God loves the cheerful giver, and the cheerfulness is the sign of willingness in the heart. It would be to the praise of God that he would do this in all of us. So when you or other people look at this property, look at this building, look at this congregation... It is my prayer that people would not say great things about this great place, but they would say great things about our great God. This God I serve with all my heart. Let's pray together.